Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to episode number 584 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and my guest today is Maggie Takuda-Hall. She has been a guest before when her first book came out. It was called The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea and it was released in May 2020. And she's coming back to talk about the sequel, The Siren, The Song, and The Spy, um, and many of the things that have changed since the last book came out in May 2020. We also talk about her experience with Scholastic regarding her book, Love in the Library. And we talk about Baldur's Gate and queer pirate fantasy, you know, the usual. I really love when people come back to talk about the sequel, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hello and thank you to our Patreon community who keep me going, who make sure that every episode is transcribed by Garlic Knitter. Hi, Garlic Knitter. And making sure that every episode is accessible to everyone. If you subscribe to the Patreon, you get bonus episodes. You get a fantastically warm, welcoming and fun discord where we're currently talking about things that aren't soup and how to make good chili. And also you get full scans of the RT magazines that we will be recapping in coming up episodes. So... Definitely have a look at patreon.com slash smartpitches. And speaking of good things, I had a cool experience. This is a nice piece of news. Refonic.com ranked this show as one of the 12 best author interview podcasts. Wow. Thank you. Thank you to Lynn McNamee. I hope I said that right. Who put smart podcast trashy books on the list alongside things like Nerdette from WBEZ Chicago. That's bonkers because they are professional grade. But I'm also extremely flattered because I have tried very hard to improve my interviewing skills with each conversation. So being featured on a list like that means a lot. Thank you. I will put a link in the show notes so you can take a look at the other author interview podcasts. And thank you again to Refonic.com. 
Support for this episode in part comes from Lumi Deodorant. It is finally cooling off. No more soup weather. But, you know, amid all of the fresh apples and the pumpkin spice, I myself wish to be freshly scented. And thankfully, Lumi Deodorant makes it easy to feel comfortable. We have a special offer. New customers get $5 off Lumi Starter Pack with code Sarah30 at LumiPodcast.com. That's L-U-M-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. As I have mentioned, the whole family over here really likes Lumi. I use the solid stick deodorant and it's great. The toasted coconut scent is lovely. I don't ever have to think about it more than once a day. And I recently got a really nice compliment. Somebody was like, oh, you smell like summertime. That's lovely. But not only do I like Lumi, my teenagers do as well. They make off with all the products and I don't see them again. It's kind of astonishing. How does it work? Well, some products will try to mask odor with a fragrance. But Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. It's more like a pre-odorant. And Lumi can control odor for up to 72 hours. It is a first of its kind as well. It is designed to be used anywhere in the body. Anywhere. Even your feet. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash and deodorant wipes. Plus, free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code Sarah30 at LumiPodcast.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiPodcast.com and use code Sarah30. All right, it's time to do this podcast. You know, you, you come for the discussion of dismantling fascism and then you stay for the video game and book recommendations because that's how we roll. On with the podcast. I'm Maggie Takuda-Hall. I'm a children's and young adult book author, and I also keep a podcast called Failure to Adapt that's about book-to-film adaptations. You know, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I just now got an email from a reader of my site who is a professional stagecraft um, person that works specifically with wigs. And oh, cool. she just needed to tell me how mad she was about the Pride and Prejudice adaptation in 2005 because Kira Knightley's hair had been cut very short for a role. And so they put her in wigs, but you can see the short parts of her hair sticking out, especially from the back. And she's like, I just want like five minutes with some dippity-doo gel, and I just want to fix her hair every time. I have watched that movie 800 times, and I never noticed. Uh, You can really see it. So you know the scene where... I kind of don't want to know. Okay. Well, then I won't tell you because I love that movie. That is my plane movie. That movie lives on my phone. And if like there's turbulence or I'm next to somebody on a plane that's like really bumming me out, I put that on and suddenly I'm just so relaxed. It's It's a happy place. It's visual ambient. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't want to know just because I love the movie so much and- That's fine. I want it next time I watch it to be like, oh, there it is. Yeah. And then to not be able to unsee it. Okay, then I'm going to protect you from this knowledge because the movie cannot lose its power. It's very important. Yeah, yeah. So we last talked in mm-hmm. May of 2020. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. A few things been have happened. Been yeah. some, some things have gone on. Um, I remember you telling me at that time that you had just had a child and your parents were visiting through the living room window. Mm-hmm. And then they would yeah. wave and they couldn't come in because it was pandemic yeah, time. baby zoo. We used to call it baby zoo. Baby zoo. <laughs> so first, I'm going to presume that your parents have met the child in person now. Both of them. Yeah. Oh, you've got no, two now. Two. There has been developments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they don't have to visit them through a window anymore, which is nice. Which is very nice, I imagine, mm-hmm. both for them and for you. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to a sequel baby, congratulations, yeah. you also have a sequel book. Yes. Which labor was harder? 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, drafting The Siren, The Song, and The Spy was such a delight, but then editing it was such a like monster. Like, I hated editing it, <laughs> which was wild because I had loved drafting it so much. And I hated being pregnant. My like second pregnancy was so rough, but then the actual labor was so easy. So I feel like it's kind of a wash. Like yeah. they're kind of even. Yeah, that sounds know? very even. <laughs> so what will readers find inside this book? We know what we find inside a baby. Cute coos and vomit and poop. <laughs> well, like internal organs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, gosh, like revenge, redemption, revolution. Um, Spotted hyenas, because they're my favorite animal, and I have always wanted to have a fantasy novel with them in it. And if you're so writing fantasy, why not put hyenas in? Honestly, like, because they're social animals. And so there's these people that we meet um, where all the warriors keep them as their familiars. So they, like, go into battle with them, but they also just, like, hang out with them all the time, which is my ideal. Um, <laughs> and a dragon and a siren who wants to eat you. All the characters from book one come back for book two. Um, but it is not really Flora or Florian and Evelyn's story anymore. It's um, Genevieve, who you might remember as the Lady Heir's uh, like handmaid, and uh, like two new characters who are of that group that uh, of the Waryuta, this group that have the spotted hyenas and live on the Red Shore and are currently resisting um, colonization from uh, this sort of like major group. That's very cool. Now, from my point of view, which, you know, may not be as fully informed across every single book community, because I know each mm -hmm. each genre has a community. It's not like there's just one group of book yeah. people. It seems to me like it's a little easier now in 2023 to communicate queer pirate fantasy with decolonization themes mm -hmm. to readers than it was in 2020. Yeah. Do you think that's true? Yes. Yeah. And I know exactly why. Thanks, our flag means death. Yeah. Like, I mean, that I'm has sorry, to be but it. Like, yeah, it was it. Like Mermaid, the Witch and the Sea was doing fine. And then that book happened or that show happened. And everyone was like, well, where do I get more queer pirates with anti-colonization themes? And I was like, I've been here this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I am very grateful for Taika Waititi for doing that because it like gave my book a whole second life. And yes. it was very easy because it was like, do you like Jim? Is Jim your favorite character? Well, have I got the character for you? <laughs> yeah, their flag means death, but your flag means sales. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, specifically that, like it, it was wild how quickly queer pirates became like a thing people were looking for. Yeah. Which is when I wrote this book, I was like, this is so weird and I don't know who's going to care. And so, um yeah, it, it is much easier because now I can just be like, did you like Our Flag Means Death? And if you're like, yes, I'm like, great, I've got a book for you. And if you're like, no, I'm like, this conversation is over. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to say to you. Thanks very much. I'm going to bag yeah. my own groceries and get out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it must have been a little surreal watching that show and thinking, wow, wait, I'm not the only one who is into like campy queer pirate with with subversive themes like i'm not the I was only so one excited somebody <laughs> one of um it was actually uh annalee newitz who was one of the beta readers on the mermaid the witch in the sea 
was like, I just started this new show and Maggie, you specifically are going to love it. (laughs) Like it took me like five minutes in. I mean, that show has such a sense of humor that is not central to the mermaid, the witch and the sea. Like it's more of a comedy than anything else, but it is aesthetically everything that I have ever wanted. uh, And I am delighted. (laughs) And now there's two. So when we have, when, when our flag means death next season comes out, you've like, well, speaking of sequel. I'm, it is wrong to be more excited about that than my own sequel. <laughs> no, I don't think I so. I saw the still of Minnie Driver in it. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> uh, they really, uh, they're adding like three new women characters to the show, which my only complaint about season one was like, I could have done with some more women. Right. Absolutely. And they heard us. And I am so excited. Oh, my God. I just looked up the picture. Holy crap. Yeah, it's very hot. It's very like... Oh, my God. Yeah, she looks fantastic. They have um, done with her costume. The thing that I love when you can tell someone has thought about what sexiness can be. Like, you saw this. I mm -hmm. I saw this with, with... Red and blue hair, Batman villain girl. Harley Quinn. Thank you. God, my brain was just not getting there. I was going to be like, the one played by Barbie. You could could see the difference in Harley Quinn between a movie that had a very male gaze and then the movie that she was in charge of, which had a very female gaze. She was no less sexy. She was so sexy. So sexy. But wearing more clothes. Like, there was no chance of chafing with her outfits that she would choose in the second movie. But you you, you still knew what the character was. She could sit down on the subway in that outfit. Right. Which I think is a real improvement without, like, fear of labia poppage. (laughs) Labia poppage (laughs) was definitely a worry here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And with the the mini driver costume, first of all, it's cleavage for days. She's it's wearing a corset. Cleave. She's wearing a corset. Yeah. She's got green and pants, but her sleeves go all the way down past her elbows. She's wearing trousers. Like she is covered, but holy shit hot. My dream woman. Yes, correct. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, she looks incredible. I'm very excited. I mean, I think they, the costumes on that show are like their own character and are so much fun. Oh my um, gosh, yes. I'm just excited to see it on more femme bodies. Oh, it's this is incredible. Thank you for bringing this into my day. I'm just going to be You're floating welcome. around in delight about Minnie Driver in that outfit. Don't worry, I will yeah, put a link in the show notes. <laughs> it's important. It is important. It's very important. <laughs> what are you noticing about this release compared to the first book? In addition to the familiarity with queer pirate fantasy and decolonialization themes and our flag means death, are there any other differences or similarities that you're noticing as you start talking about this book? I mean, it's it's kind of like an awkward position to promote a sequel. And so the general advice that I had been given by other writers is just to talk about your first book and make sure that everyone has read that. Oh. And then the sequel kind of goes from there and be like, and then there's more when you like it. Oh, that uh, is very so, good advice. Yeah. And so, um, so no, in a lot of ways, it's very much the same task because I'm still in the same world. I'm still, you know, kind of peddling the same content in a lot of ways. Um, I'm more excited for after the book comes out. I feel like this book asks really different questions than book one did. And one of the most gratifying experiences of writing The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea was talking with readers afterward and hearing the different ways that they interpreted things and that they felt it applied to their own lived reality or whatever it was. And so um, 
you know, book one is so much about your first romantic love and finding yourself. Um, and the second book is about like every other kind of love. Like there's like love between a mother and daughter, love between your mentor and you, you and your nation, a sibling, all these different ways that love can manifest your pet and how, yeah. And your pet. Yeah. yeah, That's important. You're familiar. Really. They're like, they're like a team. It's less like a dog, more like a teammate who doesn't speak the same language as you. Um, Yeah. So like, I thought I always knew I wanted to write the sequel and I wasn't sure when the mermaid, the witch in the sea was first out, if I was going to get to, it was contingent on that book's success. Yeah. And so, so much of what I was doing in book one was leading to this place. And so I'm just really excited to like finally get to talk to readers about what I was, what was at the heart of all of it at the whole time, which was what does justice look like for a nation that has like colonized the world? And what does that look like personally? Yeah. I can't imagine why that's relevant. I can't either. To anything (laughs) that is happening in the place where we live. Yeah. What types of questions and responses did you get from readers to the first book that were most memorable for you? I got a fair few of people who came out as gender fluid after reading it, where they just didn't know that was an option and that they were allowed to do that. Wow. And that made me really like tearful and like happy because I feel like literature is doing its job at its best when it makes people feel less alone. Yes. That makes me like very emotional every time. Um, but I also had people like who came in with interpretations that I just didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was also really gratifying because it reminds you that once a book is published, it's not yours anymore. It's everyone who reads it yeah. gets to own it. And then whatever they took away from it is correct. It's not my place to tell them that that wasn't what my intention was or anything like that. And so there were a few of those that I thought were like really exciting and cool. Um Gosh, like, I think in general, like, people not realizing that gender fluid was an option was probably my happiest takeaway. And that came from people who weren't necessarily gender fluid themselves as well. I got a few, you know, notes from like educators or older people who'd picked up the book because it has a nice cover, nice like fantasy, you know, like whatever it was. And they're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that this could happen. And I was like, yes, yes. (laughs) I'm so happy for you that this was, you know, and that is a learning moment. Unfortunately, that is also a very timely introduction because so many people are trying to limit what readers are exposed to in terms of yes this is a thing and it's real and it it can be you and you can be this and it is okay Um, yeah uh, yet again you're you're so do you play the lottery every day Hmm? with your ability to like predict things just before they happen (laughs) so you release a book and it's our flag means death and then you release (laughs) these books that really introduce people to a fantasy world with gender fluidity at a time when that is endangered like i feel like this is where i'm just like so deep in the fantasy world that like by the time I wrote it, I was late to the game, right? <laughs> That's like, true. That is know, like, true. I, I was hardly the first person to have like a gender queer character. It just happens to be that not everybody is living and breathing in queer sci-fi and fantasy. And so yep. it's possible still that my book could be the first time that they confront that idea. Yeah. Um, But it's hardly the first time 
in the market, right? Like, no, not in the least, especially yeah. not in fantasy. Exactly. Especially like, not in fantasy for YA readers too. Yeah, yeah. So like to me, when I wrote it, I kind of thought I was doing, I was maybe toward the front, but not in the vanguard yeah. of like anything to do with this stuff. Like, and I was playing so much with specific tropes that I had loved from fantasy, but that hewed really closely to a, a binary understanding of gender, like boy, girl pretends to be a boy for survival. And I was like, it's one of my most favorite tropes, but like, what does that do in a world where we understand that gender isn't actually binary? And so, you know, in some ways I liked to think I was thinking forward, but the fact of the matter is like, I was medium to late. To the game. <laughs> And yet your books have managed to hit right before a big trend shift. And yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's kind of lovely to think about. Yeah, especially the idea that someone's going to read in your book about something they didn't know there was a name for. Yeah, that's that's the thing that always gets me that a reader will discover a book and be like, wait, that's a thing and it has a name. And now I know what to look for. And now I know what to ask the Internet to give me information for her. And this this is a thing like this is a name. Yeah. There's probably a Dewey Decimal number that I could. Wow. <laughs> There's a this is a thing that is always I think that is one of the most powerful and gratifying things about reading, especially fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when we spoke in 2020, you had just had a baby. Now you have two. And mm-hmm. with this book, you are writing about young people. And the previous book, too, you're writing about young people who are figuring out who they are, how they want to be in the world, and how they want to figure out their own lives while also trying to build a better world for themselves in the future. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's one thing to figure out your identity and to figure out how you want to move in the world. It's another thing to be like, and I'm going to change the world, too. Big task. Yeah. A lot of to-do lists. Yeah. Do you have a lot of hope for younger generations behind us? to do the same? I think I have to. Otherwise there's like nothing. Yeah. There's, (laughs) um, on a good day, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Easy peasy. They're going to change everything. Um, but I think if that was true, this, if sudden and immediate change were possible, then we would have made it right. Like Mm -hmm. it would have happened already. This is not for lack of previous generations, trying or caring or being passionate enough or strong enough every generation of people i think is like equally strong right like Mm -hmm. in equally whatever like it's we're just all kind of making our slow incremental changes as best we can what i worry about for our future generation is that instead of making the necessary progress that would make their lives better they're going to be relegated to fighting against regressive policies and that's where all the energy will go. And then that's necessary and awful work. But what a fucking waste of an incredible generation that is clearly ready for something so much better. Oh, it's so true. I don't know. I think today I happen to feel a little pessimistic about it. Like the the increments are coming too slowly and I feel sad for the young adults and the children right now who maybe are queer and don't have that language yet and are having the books that would help them be the healthiest, happiest, wisest versions of themselves taken away from them. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what the long tail of that looks like, but I do suspect that book banning is really myopic and that these kids will find that language 
and they will fucking hate the people who did this to oh, them. Oh yes, the pendulum. And is so like, whoosh, yeah, exactly. Way. And so like, I just wish it wasn't going to take that long. Like, I wish to not put them through that. And like, I don't know. I think part of it's that I'm a parent now, and I'm very aware of how it is solely the adult responsibility to fix these fucking problems. Mm -hmm. And I see how insurmountable it is. And it is not for lack of my passion, strength, or interest in these things um, and commitment to it. But, you know, even within my own community, it's difficult to really advocate for a lot of these things um, and be heard and like win every time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I hope, I hope, I hope things will get better. And it seems like we're trending that way in some ways, but I think if we ignored the global rise of sort of regressive totalitarianism, yeah, we're kidding ourselves. Like it's not just the United States. I, every time someone's like, I need to move to Canada. I'm like, do you think this shit's not contagious? It's you know so what's going contagious. on in Edmonton there right now. Like <laughs> they got their own Nazis. We have a lot of reckoning to do. Oh, just a little, but also <laughs> at the same time, I know as a parent of teenagers, I am so hopeful because like you mentioned vocabulary and being able to mm-hmm. name things they are not only confident naming things, but they're very confident talking about things. Like all mm-hmm. of my my 16-year-old's friends, they all talk about therapy and they talk about their therapists. And, and so I have a lot of hope for the generations who can name and activate things and, and actually make specific plans and progress because they know yeah. what, it, what, it, what it's called and they have a common language. But yeah. like you said, the, the generation that is poised to do so much is also the generation that's contending with these horribly regressive policies. Yeah, it's a gross moment right now. It, it really is. I do want to ask, speaking mm-hmm. of regressive policies and mm-hmm. experiences, I want to ask you mm-hmm. about Love in the Library. How is it, how is it doing? It's doing okay. Yay! It's still like a quiet little picture book kind of chugging along. And how are uh, you doing? I'm fine. I feel like I should give context, which is that Love in the Library is the true story of um, my maternal grandparents who met in a Japanese incarceration camp during World War II in Idaho called Minidoka, where my grandmother was the camp librarian. And every day my grandfather would go in and check out books he had no intention of reading so that he could go flirt with her. He fell in love under this kind of like awful backdrop of virulent racism. Um, so that's that story. <laughs> And it's a picture book. It's intended for like first grade through fifth grade, really. Yeah. Did you expect when you posted your story about your Faustian bargain with Scholastic, as you called it, did you expect it to go as wildly viral as it did? No. Um, I So Scholastic's education division made me an offer to license the book, which would have been great for me and the book and getting it into classrooms, which is where I intended it to go. Uh, but they wanted to take the words virulent racism out of my author's note and delete an entire paragraph situating what had happened to them in the context of American history and being clear that like this still happens, this kind of racist policy. And um, I said no, and I was really grossed out and offended. And I decided to say no publicly 
because I suspected and was correct that I was not the only author being asked to do these kinds of things in the wave of this new, like kind of rising culture of book bans that's happening right now. Yeah. And I thought at best it would create an intra-community discussion where authors could talk to their agents about things that they were being asked they didn't feel comfortable with. And even agents and editors to get together and talk about like, well, what's even appropriate to ask here? And like, you know, just to be frank about what was going on. And instead it turned into like a much larger thing. And for about two months, my entire life was just sort of talking about love in the library and book censorship and like why this would be an inappropriate thing to do. Why did I decide to go public? Why, 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 why? Like, all the time. Um, and I was pretty shocked uh, because there are much more damning examples of book banning happening right now. But I think part of the reason that my story caught on the way that it did is that I am like a nice cisgender lady uh, and I am not black. <laughs> My voice mattered more in that moment because of so many structures of racism and prejudice. Um, and I was kind of shocked because of that. And so I really took the responsibility of being asked to advocate for a really wide community really seriously. Yeah. And so when Scholastic came back to me and they were like, okay, here's the deal. We will license your book without any edits. Good. And I was like, well, no, because I wanted to know what they were going to do to make sure that they never did this to another marginalized author ever again. I wanted to know, you know, what they were doing to kind of combat book bans, because that was ultimately what this was about. And because I'm petty, I wanted to know how it had happened. I mean, that's not petty. I mean, okay, yes, I was trying to come at it at the time at the from like the perspective of uh, reformative justice instead of uh, like punitive justice, right? Like I'm not interested in punishing them. I just want to make things better for the community. And if you know how it happened, then you can say, okay, if these are the things that caused this to happen, that's then there's going to be points of intervention that we can do differently for sure. Yes. Yes. That is also true. Also, because I was just like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Like this seemed like this was such a whiff on their part. Like it is such a massive miss. Like Their first apology was uh, this isn't our policy to do this, but good news going forward. This will, it will be our policy not to do this. And I was like, what does that mean? Like what? Uh, and so when I met with them, cause I met with like the CEO and the head of the education division and like uh, some other people within their company, they weren't able to give satisfactory answers to any of those things. They weren't able to tell me how this had happened. Uh, they weren't able to, tell me anything satisfying about what they were doing to combat book bans. Um, They were basically like, we provide annotations, which um, I was like, well, what does that mean? I thought it might be like education guides and stuff. And it's not. It's just the good press a book has gotten. And for perspective, that is available on the Amazon page for any given book. That is not the resource of a billion dollar company. A billion dollar Um, company with unfettered, unfathomable access to school libraries. Yes. To schools that the scholastic book fair for us, I mean, for people our age, I'm a little older than you. That's a foundational memory, the scholastic book fair. Oh, yeah. 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 It still is. Like people don't realize that independent bookstores can do that and do it better. First of all, it's it's so so much a part of so many people. Um, 
in terms of how they were going to make sure that this didn't happen to other authors going forward, they hired outside auditors to kind of evaluate their process, which I'm like, okay, I understand that institutional change takes a really long time. But when we had that conversation, they hadn't even hired them yet. They were just sort of like, okay, like that's something we're thinking about. And I was like, okay, well, that's incomplete. That sounds like PR more than effective policy engagement. That sounds like a public relations decision. Exactly. And since then, I have spoken to the outside auditors. I have no idea what their results are. Um, I don't know what, if any of my time talking to them will do. I was willing to give it, but it was sort of like, I don't know. I I just have very little hope because about 14 years ago, they wanted to license a Lauren Miracle middle grade book. And they asked her to take out the gay uncles in order for it to go into their book club program. And they did the exact same thing. Backtrack. Apology. This will never happen again. We're hiring outside auditors to make sure this never happens again. So if you didn't learn what needed to be learned, 14 fucking years ago, what is happening this summer that you think is so different? And so I didn't accept the deal still. And that does suck because I would rather take the deal and the money and the access and have my book be available in all these classrooms. But like... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. It would have been such a disservice to all the people whose voices are regularly ignored in this mm-hmm. conversation to take a soft line on this. Mm-hmm. And there are, let's not mince fucking words. Typically, when these bans happen, they happen around trans and black authors and particularly where those identities intersect. And it is the book bans are not about the content of the book. It's a proxy for the identities that they represent. It is a framework for doing damage to physical bodies. And I am not interested in compromising with that. No, or participating in that system. No. And I think 
Scholastic is still trying to figure out how to exist within capitalism at the same time as supporting values that they say they support. But, you know, where the rubber meets the road in terms of sales, we've seen what they will do. And so I am glad that that is public. I am glad that within Scholastic, this created like a really big problem. Oh, yeah. It seemed like internally there was probably a lot of email. And they're probably very grateful they're not subject to freedom of information. A lot of emails. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's... A lot of texting. (laughs) I think what a lot of people don't understand about Scholastic is that it's basically two companies. There are... There's the publishing side that publishes books like Melissa by Alex Gino, which is one of the first and most wonderful novels about a trans kid to kind of be mainstream and marketed. Um, It was edited by David Levithan. It's like a beautiful, wonderful book, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's the education division and the books, book clubs, like their whole sort of like that wing of the company that goes directly and has relationships with so many schools. And that's a sales oriented company. That's a different deal. That's where capitalism really happens. And they sell a lot of books. They sell so many books. And so that's where my interaction with them happened. Right. And so all the people who are on the publishing side were furious. Yeah. <laughs> and I received emails and messages from many of them who were just like, I'm horrified that this happened in the company that I work for. And like, I know, you know, and I, I know that feeling like I used to work for Apple. I worked for iBooks. Oh boy. And I loved that job. I had a great time. That job was so meaningful to me. And I like loved my boss in that job was a really important mentor in my life. And at the time when I was working there, uh, they did like a WWDC conference where they were like, and now you can like use Adobe to like edit photographs. And they literally edited a smile onto a woman's face. Cause they're like, if she's not smiling enough, you can just like put it in there. And every, yeah, exactly. The face you're making is exactly correct. We were all just like, oh my God, what are you, the tone, what are you thinking? And I remember being like, I don't have the power to like make you not do this. Like this company is enormous. And, you know, Scholastic isn't as big as Apple. It's not exactly apples and apples, but like, you know, um, I do, I just want to be clear that I don't blame people in the publishing half of this company yeah for what happened and nor do i think they deserve to have their good work and good names dragged through the mud because somebody in the education division somebody is more likely made it clear that these kinds of books were problematic for their sales and should be avoided and so the fact that it had been selected by these asian mentors that they brought on to do this project was like you know That's great. That's one step. But they had to advocate really hard to include love in the library. There was a lot of resistance from Scholastic to include it at all. And so then when they finally won them over and were like, yeah, no, Scholastic, this book is going in. They Scholastic's education division went behind those mentors backs and made the offer that they made to me. And so those mentors also got blindsided. These Asian you know, oh, for heaven's sake. authors and educators who had been brought in to, you know, say, these are the voices we think are important and represent us. And like, we're doing this all together. Uh, and so those poor people also got kind of fucked in this whole situation. And um, it was just, to me, like, 
very corporate. Like it was just like exactly the kind of stuff that happens in a corporation that has diversity values, but no guidance about how to actually implement them. And so they're just meaningless words that make people in higher positions feel good that have no relevance to what the rank and file are going to do on a day-to-day basis. And so it was a stone cold bummer and it still makes me sad. And I still wish that they could have just pulled their shit together and given me a good offer (laughs) that I could have taken because I am selfish and I want my book to go places. But like, you're like, how's the book doing? Uh, Fine. Like about the same as it was before because the clamor has died down. And so like, there was like a huge kick in sales and then it goes away and that's totally normal. And that's no one person's responsibility to fix for me, but I really did have to say no to an incredible opportunity because they fucked it so hard. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and what Scholastic does is it creates a long, a long tail of sales because your book is still in the book fair for five, 10 years sometimes. And it will it's keep not a, it showing wasn't up. It wasn't for book fairs. It was for like a thing specifically to sell directly to educators. Oh, and yeah. And so it's like a, it's a smaller thing, but a cooler thing for yeah. someone like me where it's like book fairs depend on the book buying audience. Just be like, yeah, I want this in my home. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would love it if you want this in your home. That's great. I really intended this book for classroom use. Yeah. Like where you can use it to start this conversation. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's missing now like that. I don't get to do that as much as, you know, my peers felt I deserved, which was meaningful to me that it was selected by like other authors and educators who were like, yeah, no, this is an important and essential story about the Asian American experience in the United States. Fucking cool, right? Like I would like Extremely cool. Yeah, that makes my heart feel good. And it like makes me feel like I told the story right. I did right by my grandparents. Um. I, I guess my point is the reason I'm like hammering home that this fucking sucks is that because it fucking am, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, um, is I think we are all often faced with little choices like this. And in yeah. the grand scheme of things, this was actually a little choice. The amount of money that they were offering was not that much. And like it was an email like this was not like they call like, you know, no one ascended from heaven and was like, Maggie, like <laughs> here it comes. Like, yeah. It, Ended up becoming big because I went public with my no, but we're all faced with these little decisions over and over and over again. And I think often it is hard not to see past the things that suck. I don't regret a fucking thing. Like, I am really proud that if we lose the the war against fascism, at least I made a stand like early on. Like, I you know, like, and I fully intend to keep doing it. I think all of us think that these little stands matter most when it's like life or death. And I don't think people no. understand the power of our cumulative rejection in all these tiny places. Yeah. Because this one licensing deal was a tiny place. Yeah. It's a tiny fucking place. I'm one person for like a spot in a display that was going to be, you know, like yeah. sold to educators. And yet they whiffed it so hard. They whiffed it real hard and it gave me the opportunity to say no and to say no publicly. And I hope more people do that because we all have more power in the light. I think like these strikes that we see happening going on right now are so instructive to everybody who's in creative fields of just rejecting the premise that we can't exist without them. They can't exist without us. Yeah. 
And so like, I looked at this also as like a labor issue. <laughs> oh, it's like, absolutely a, a labor yeah, issue. Where it's like, and no, I yet refuse again, to be treated you are. Yeah. this way <laughs> by people who would give me money, like for my services, for mm-hmm. the thing that I have made. And so, um, and I'm sure from their point of view, they're like, wait, you're saying no, but nobody says no to us. People don't. The way it was so casual and I followed up and was like, is my offer contingent on this? Cause I just wanted to be clear. And I got an immediate like, yeah, of course it is from my Candlewick person because they know because they know when Scholastic demands stuff for the first, you just say yes. Yeah. No one says no. So it's like they don't even negotiate usually. No. Who says no? (laughs) For these kinds of things. And so like it was just casual. It was clear that the edit was done lazily because the red line that they offered me didn't actually, it made a sentence that didn't make any fucking sense. And it was like, yeah. So they just shot from the hip this casual, stupid fucking thing because the word racism made somebody's tummy hurt so we're just gonna decimate a sentence to get rid of it and i'm sorry how do you talk about japanese american incarceration without talking about racism i don't that's like trying to talk about the assassination of harvey milk without mentioning homophobia or he was gay or twinkies (laughs) or twinkies Twinkies. yeah (laughs) moving on to happier topics I want to ask you about books that you're reading right now, but mm-hmm. I also want to ask you about Baldur's Gate. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm playing Baldur's Gate. Speaking of hope for the future, <laughs> tell me all about Baldur's Gate. Um, I made a tiefling paladin. Her name is Zenobia. Yeah, I named her after a character in my own book. I'm a fucking dork. But to start, to be fair, my husband started it because he named his character Rake. Okay. Like, See, well, I think if that's he's in fabulous. canon, then I get to be as well. Like, yep. why does he get to name a character after my character if I don't get? And what was cute about that is Rake's character is like very much based on my husband, <laughs> 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 like, or like some of his personality traits are anyway. And so, like, yeah, I was like, of course, you like Rake the best. <laughs> you two share a language, um, and we're only a little bit in. And I, this is the first video game that I am better at than my husband. <gasps> like in the history of us, he's like one of those people who always puts the video game on its absolute hardest settings. And like, Oh yeah. You know, just like grinds it out and finishes every side quest. And like, whereas I play like one video game every five years. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm still on a playthrough of dragon age inquisition. I don't yeah, want it like, to end. Uh, I, I'm not really like, I like a good story and I can get into it. If I'm going to play it, it's probably going to be like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of game. Story mode. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is the first one where like he keeps fucking up the, the controllers. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, this is how it feels to be you most of the time. <laughs> um, so it's a delight and I like it, but we're only like, probably three hours into like actual gameplay because we have two children and can only play once they go to bed. Of and then course. It is not what I would call winding down time. No. Yet. And so like, it is very we play active. for a little bit and then we're like, okay, we got to wind down. <laughs> um, and at least an so hour of that is, is, is customizing your character, right? The, the, the character. Customization. Oh, I spent fully an hour and a half and my paladin looks fucking cool. She is green. She has horns. Oh, hell yeah. She has a snatched Ariana Grande ponytail. Like, she's very hot. I'm very proud of her. Every time she's on screen, I'm like, look how hot she is. <laughs> <laughs> I saw uh, pictures. She is indeed hot. She's cool. She's fucking cool. Listen, if you can't just make people who look fucking cool, what's the point? <laughs> and then and then have them, like, win battles. 
right? Yeah. She has a flaming two-handed sword right now. Very cool. Oh, hell it's very yeah. Cool. Hell it's just yeah. cool. So that's her deal. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been playing Witcher Three on Story Mode for a while, and I don't mm. I don't I'm it's fine. I can go battle things. Oh, I got to kill things. The thing I love is that when bandits attack me and I kill them, mm-hmm. sometimes they're just wearing a helmet and like a pair of tidy whities because the game renders them like like I don't know what they were doing before they decided to attack me, but this guy's in a helmet and some tidy whities, and then I can loot him after he's yeah. dead. And if yeah. I sometimes I will loot an entire chicken. A panini sandwich? And I'm like, where were you keeping this? Was this in your pants? I don't want yeah. it if it's in your I love drawers, it when you're bro. A fish. Yes. And you're like, you that's gross. Like what? You can't just be walking through the wilderness with a fish in your pocket. But like, that's all right. Just nasty. They apparently never go bad, which I love for them. I just read Bombshell by Sarah McLean. Oh, tell me how you liked it. It is the platonic ideal of a romance novel. I want to reread it a thousand times. This is exactly everything I ever want. If I'm going to read heterosexual romance, they are the couple I am most interested in. (laughs) I love like a very put upon rule following man being paired up with like a gleefully like just law breaking woman. (laughs) Yep there to ruin his day and also his life and have him be like, yay, it's what I wanted. <laughs> Lawful, good, and chaotic anything pairings are so fun. A delight. And you could, t- I feel like you can tell that McLean was just like tickling herself pink the whole time. Because their <laughs> banter, she's always so good at banter, but their banter is like next level good. Ooh. It's very fun. And I like one of my favorite kinds of interactions is when someone really serious says something like that they mean to be damning, where it's like you create so many problems. And the character who is the chaos monkey just goes, thank you. Oh, Hey, that's a big compliment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's a few of those in this book, which I think is great. That whole series is a fucking delight, but also this one ends the last sentence of the epilogue is such a like banger gets you so fucking excited for the fourth book in this series that like I I couldn't wait for this one because I knew the minute both these characters were introduced in book one yeah that I was going to be heavily invested in their romance and that it was going to be my favorite and I was correct yep and I the duchess's character I've always been like oh she's really cool but I like didn't even think of her as a romantic lead I was just like oh yeah she's like a boss yeah okay uh she's charlie Sets up her fourth, the fourth book is her romance and it sets it up in the last sentence of this book. And I was like, oh, now I'm going to burn someone's house down if I don't get this book like (laughs) as soon as possible. Like I will be driven to violence. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Um, something McLean is really good at creating a pairing that even if this is your pairing and it's book two or book three. She yeah. creates an overarching narrative that by the time you hit book four, you're like, I have to read this. Yeah. I just started Wicked in the Wallflower by her, too, because I was like, okay, I know Devil gets mentioned in book three, and it all exists in the McLeanaverse, so all these people are running around London at the same time. And I was like, okay, well, then I want to meet him, so I'm reading that book right now. And that's not my favorite type of pairing, because it's like, dark man, and like, good girl. Which is less, I like, okay, like, I, but I'm still into it because I just really like her writing. But <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So those are great. 
Um, how about you? What are you reading? So I just started The Blonde Identity by Allie Carter. Okay. And Allie Carter used to write YA. This is this is yeah. contemporary um, thriller. It has some really classic tropes. We have a mm-hmm. secret surprise twin. We have secret oh. agents. We have amnesia. Mm-hmm. And we have alternating very short chapters between the hero and heroine's point of view and the heroine at this point mm-hmm. where I am does not still does not know who she is she just knows who she's not and mm-hmm. the guy who is chasing her through the snow she's not wearing boots or anything good like that is convinced that she is someone else and then he figures mm-hmm. out that this is her twin who and this woman she well she doesn't have she has amnesia she didn't even know she had a twin she didn't know who she is at this point but yeah. because the chapters are so short and because there's so much action like yeah. like like playing Baldur's Gate. This is not a before bed book for me because I'm just like, yeah. oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm sorry, I have two more books. Please tell, tell me you? every okay. book, all of the books. Just okay. give me them all. My favorite books of the summer: The Fourth Wing, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, which I'm sure someone has talked about on your show already because it's romanticy. So it's very like it is exact. It's a smart bitch trashy book. You know, like it's no goody. It is. Does the world building make sense? Not always. (laughs) Did I have the best time? Yeah, I did. Yep. I read it when I was on vacation. When I say a beach read, it better be this good or I am mad at you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We went to Hawaii as a family and I was just reading it all the time because it was like the perfect book to pick up and put down. Just have a good time every time I was reading it. There is an orgasm so good it causes a lightning storm. Love that for her. Thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Had a great time. Love that for her. <laughs> like, I was literally just like, oh, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Get it, girl. I literally cackled when that happened. And my husband was like, what happened? I was like, I'm not going to tell you because you will not respect me. <laughs> Out of context, you I will told not him. understand. I told him anyway. I said that and then I told him immediately because that's what kind of person I am. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure he, he was like, oh, yeah, checks out. Yeah, I, I feel like the way I've been pitching this book to my friends is like, do you like dicks and dragons? <laughs> and and if these people are your friends, I'm certain there's a very high percentage where the Nine answer is why yes. We're like, yes. Yes, why yes, uh, I do. <laughs> and then Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang is the hardest I have laughed in a thousand years. I thought that book was a fucking banger. I read that one while I was traveling as well, although I was on work travel for that one. And boy, did I enjoy that book. As an Asian person whose entire career has been in publishing, I felt like it was uh, just everything. It was so correct. It was so funny. And I had had it recommended to me by several white women who were like, it's the most stressful book I've ever read. (laughs) I read it and I was like, no, it's not. It's the funniest book I've ever read. (laughs) It is the first like thriller comedy I think I've ever read where like it's got the kind of like propulsive thrillery thing happening where you're Mm -hmm. like, what's going on? What's happening? Oh no, what's she doing? Yeah. But it's increasingly absurd and so funny like that those two feelings are so like woven in together so well yes and I thought it had the exact correct ending like just nailed that finish so highly highly recommend those three books for very different reasons it is wild to read a book where you're like 
wait a minute, have I been in a meeting with this person who wrote this? There's a book called <laughs> The Dead Romantics about a ghostwriter who is struggling to ghostwrite a romance and they get a new mm. editor and they go into the publishing house to meet with the new editor and just all of the little asides and the amount of detail. I'm like, oh, okay, this person you, has not only worked in publishing, yeah, they have worked in publishing. Yeah, and I, yeah. And I kept reading it thinking, I wonder if I know this person. Like, yeah, these two, there's just a lot of detail that, you know. Yeah, man. I love that. Yeah. I I didn't ever have the feeling of like, oh, we were in the same place, but I did have that feeling of like, oh, did we have to deal with the same person? Oh yeah. Like a few times. Oh yeah. Oh, I I know that person. Oh yes. Yeah. So where can people find you if you wish to be found? Um, I am decreasingly online. Um, although I am still on blue sky at Maggie Takuda hall, my Instagram has gone private. My Twitter is just there for updates. Um, because that website has been co-opted by the worst people on the internet. Oh God. It's so true. Um, blue sky is where you would go. If you wanted to chat with me, TikTok's where you would go. If you want to see the random things that I reblog, it's mostly animal facts. Um, <laughs> And I'm Maggie Takota Hall in both of those places. You can also go to my website, prettyokmaggie.com. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you very, very much to Maggie Takuda Hall for being a guest again and for being so candid and sharing so much of her experience since we last spoke. I will have links to all of the books that we talked about and to Maggie's website and her podcast failure to adapt in the show notes. And you know where that is. It is smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And yes, I will have the link to the image from Our Flag Means Death. That is so very, 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 very interesting. Like literally a thousand cosplays will be born from this image. And I am so excited about that. I always end with a terrible joke. And this joke is from Brawler. And this is a true story. So this is what Brawler put in the, in the Discord. I love this so much. Yesterday, I was in the grocery store and a random elderly man stopped me and told me a bad joke, and it made me think of this Discord, which is the highest of compliments. For context, I was looking at frozen fish when he walked up, and for a second, I thought he was asking for weird culinary advice. But no, this is what he said. Miss, do you know what kind of fish goes best with peanut butter? Give up. What kind of fish goes best with a peanut butter? Jellyfish. If I get accosted at the grocery store, which is not a place I visit often because I don't like grocery shopping, but if I get a, if I get approached by people with bad jokes anywhere, I will feel like my life has reached a new pinnacle of meaning. That is so awesome. Thank you, Brawler. Also, I do have a correction to issue. I probably should have done this at the top of the episode, but I'm going to do it now. Um, this is episode 584. The previous episode was 583, but I said it was 584. Because I'm bad at numbers and I made a mistake. So I apologize. This is actually 584. And I know you're writing this down in a notebook somewhere. You know, all the mistakes that I've made with numbers because there are so many. Anyway, sorry about that. My bad. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend and we will see you back here next week for <gasps> Romantic Times Rewind Part 2, where Amanda and I are going to go through the ads and features of the May 2014 issue. So do not miss that. And don't forget, you can find images and scans and lots and lots and lots of visuals at smartbitchestrashybooks.com and smartbitches.tumblr.com because I do, I do love Tumblr. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.